Um, yeah, and he also added that uh, his cabinet completely under master... Under masturbated? <laughs> what did you just say? Under masturbated. What is under masturbated? Never mind. You know what? I don't want to know. <laughs> no, don't, don't answer that question. No. Uh, uh, Margaret, if you know, slide in our DMs. <laughs> It's Friday, June the 7th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Trainee Seagull Assassin, and with me today are my fellow Dutch News Contributing Editor and Bronze Hippo Companion, Molly Quell, and Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Dancing Crane Voyeur. Where, where so we've all this, got an animal theme. This, this is a week. weird. This yeah. is a weird set of job descriptions. It is. Yeah. So who who is going to start? Let's start the hippos. The, the hippos. Yeah. Oh, uh, so it's you know how Facebook does those uh, ten years ago today things, whatever. Yeah. So I ten years ago today I was apparently sitting on top of a <laughs> bronze hippo as as one does. Where was this bronze hippo? In San Diego. And you you really looked very happy. Sitting I was on very happy. I was there. Uh, I was on a trip with some friends of mine, and we were we'd probably been day drinking. I mean, who knows? It was ten years ago. Was this uh, kind of the thing they do in San Diego? Let people sit on their hippos? Or? I think. I suspect we were at like the zoo or something. I, I think suspect I, you were at the zoo. Yes, yeah. I'd be surprised if you were anywhere else. And like Taco Bells. Or I, I mean, I don't know what kind of statues they put up at Taco Bell. Um... Yeah, so we were we were there, and I was quite uh, quite happy. But my I didn't I actually wasn't the one that saw it on Facebook. My best friend saw it, and she like sent me a screenshot. Right. And then we spent like an hour going down the rabbit hole of like really old Facebook posts, and we're like reminding ourselves of all these things that we had like totally forgotten because she was for for good reason for good reason yeah she was mentioning also like maybe a year later her and i had done a trip to chicago and she's like yeah and we saw the dark night and i was like we saw the dark night and she was like how do you not remember this and i was like i totally forgot about this yeah but luckily there's facebook to remember you facebook remind Mm, me yeah uh gordon what's with the what's with the seagulls uh it's just because if you go outside uh, just now my car's parked outside but you'll hardly recognize my car because it's just underneath uh, just a pile of guano basically <laughs> because the the tree outside my house is the one that the seagulls have all chosen to nest in so <laughs> this, uh, all the seagulls uh, of the hague well they're not nesting in the tree because seagulls nest on roofs but they all seem to be sitting in the tree Hanging and, out the and tree. dumping on my car <laughs> at a great height yeah, yeah. and because, because there's been very little rain recently apart from the last few days it's all now dry and it's incredibly difficult to get off the car <laughs> isn't it isn't guano like quite uh, quite valuable can't you just scrape it off your car and then like sell, <laughs> sell it, it for profit farmers. yeah <laughs> that, that's a very Dutch way of looking at things <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm integrated baby <laughs> really and Paul you've been uh, watching some cranes that's true. Dance, yeah, suggestively. Yeah, we will talk about the weather uh, later on this podcast. But I was sitting in my window as the rain was falling down, and I was enjoying the lightning. But all of a sudden, I heard this very loud noise from across the street, and they were building an apartment building uh, across from me. And I was looking at the crane, and it was making this enormously loud noise, and it started to swing in the in the wind. So I thought, okay, that's scary at first, but well, then later I realized it's better to have this thing swinging around rather than falling over uh, on my building. But then I realized in the um, uh, station area of Delft, there are a lot of buildings being constructed right now. So I went to one of the windows and I saw all these six, seven or eight cranes. I saw them dancing in the wind, which was really impressive, which was a really nice sight. So I ran back to my uh, to my house to get my phone, uh, but when I returned, they stopped swinging, so I couldn't 
film it or anything, <laughs> so I don't have any proof of this. So you yeah, have to yeah. believe. So maybe it just happened in your imagination. So it's definitely a lie. Could could also happen. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a lie. What? It's fake news. Is this is fake news? Everything is fake. News. Everything is fake news. We will hear more about fake news in this yeah. podcast because you uh, you met the daughter of Mr. Fake News himself. I couldn't. I wrote like three sentences for this GES script and then I just quit. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. So, Paul, aside from the predictable whirlwind of uh, op heft that surrounded <laughs> by uh, Ivanka Trump's uh, arrival, what was the other op heft of the week? Uh, it was a quite a slow uphef uh, week, but luckily mm. there was the Denk MP um, yeah. Selzuk Öztürk, who is always there to uh, to help us out if there is uh, not enough uphef. Is and he like the second biggest uphef generator after Cherry Bodé? I think? think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah, there's yeah. always there's is always. He, a is lot. he a bigger uphef generator than than Kuzu? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, I see the Denk party as yeah, so yeah, just one so big, we, big. Yeah, it's yeah, Cherry yeah. Bodé, the Denk party, and then. The rest. The rest. The rest. Steph Block talking about <laughs> <laughs> anything yeah. in public. Yeah, you go to mal- Young Shoes. Steph Block when he malfunctions at yeah. <laughs> But Denk MP uh, Selsuk Oester clashed on Thursday with Tweede Kamer Chairwoman Khadija Arip. And our official favorite uh, politician on this podcast. I, I think so, yeah. yeah. But, but, but we have more favorite politicians later on this podcast. We have a lot of cliffhangers right now. Oh. Yeah. Make everybody listen to the end. Um, and during a debate on Turkish diplomatic relations, Öster called SPMP Sadet Karabulut, who is of Kurdish descent, um, a terrorism sympathizer. And when Arip asked if he has any proof of that, Öster referred to an SP proposal from 2015, which asked to uh, scrap PKK from the list of terrorist organizations. So that was... Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah. that makes you a terrorist sympathizer? Yeah, apparently. Okay. Um, all other MPs uh, condemned Oesterk's allegations. Arip asked the Denk MP to take back his words and apologize. But Oesterk uh, not only refused to do this, but repeated his claims uh, again. To which Arip shut down his microphone and requested him to take his seat again. Oesterk complained for a while, but eventually left the podium. CDA MP Peter Omzicht said he was perplexed by the accusations of Oesterk. And Kara Balut herself responded saying his... Be- behavior was unworthy of a uh, representative. Ooh, the savage. I'm disappointed mm. in your response. Arip and the Deng party have a history of similar clashes, both within and outside the Tweede Kamer. Yeah. So this is Deng basically dog-whistling, isn't it? This is the, He did this purely so he could just um, turn it into a YouTube clip later on and put it on Deng's. Exactly. Everybody knows what he's going to do. Yes. And it was very... Um, yeah, it's, it it, was, it had no bearing on what was happening in the debate at all. Of and, course yeah. not. No. So yeah, that's very... Ru- and uh, this is what they've done many times before, mm. also with Katisha Arip uh, uh, in particular. So yeah, they don't have a very good relation. And uh, yeah, this was just another episode in that uh, long story. Yeah. So we will no doubt have up of this nature again um, before long. Uh, we also like to, uh, at this point, give a shout out to our two new Patreon backers. Uh, again, uh, we are uh, very grateful and slightly mystified that people are continuing to... <laughs> yeah, we are worried. To be <laughs> I think mostly mystified, to be honest. Yeah. People yeah. continuing to give money uh, to us uh, to, to do this. Um, uh, but uh, thank you to Aaron Holloway, who's a native of Beaumonton, Texas. Beaumont has some cracking sounding museums. There's the Spindletop Gladys City Boomtown Museum. <laughs> what? It's, a, it's a, the Spindletop Gladys City Boomtown Museum, which is a recreated town showing life in the early 90s. 1900s at the start of the Texas oil boom. That sounds interesting. So you, can go, so you can go there and do your own remake of There Will Be Blood, I guess. Uh, okay, yeah. that sounds yeah. like fun. And drink people's milkshakes. I will. <laughs> if you haven't thrown them at Tommy Robinson Is that the one already. where they shoot the dog at the very beginning, or is that another Coen Brothers movie? <laughs> I think that's a different one. Okay. Yeah. They all blend into one. Yeah, that's yeah. all. I've seen the same. Uh, there's also the Art Museum of Southeast Texas. 
and the Dishman Art Museum. Okay, interesting. Um, Aaron is moving to the Netherlands this summer to start his second master's degree at Maastricht University. Doesn't have a question, but he says, I've been listening to the podcast since 2016. I'm not sure he has, because we started in 2017. <laughs> but thank you anyway, Aaron. <laughs> yes. thank we thank you for listening to silence in preparation for this podcast <laughs> birth into existence. Yeah. Um, and then there's an awful mental image. <laughs> wow. Then there's Giuseppe Procaccianti from Palermo in Sicily. He moved to Amsterdam about six years ago, uh, finished his PhD, and is now working for Vanderbron, a green energy supplier. See if they want to buy some advertising on our podcast, yeah. Giuseppe. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we've agreed not to mention what Palermo's most famous for in most people's minds because it's all a bit cliched and there's lots of films about it. That's true. Um, and also because Sicily has got a very rich and uh, interesting history, which uh, people don't pay enough attention to. It's uh, one of Europe's richest and most diverse um, places. It's the seat of Norman Arab Byzantine culture, a place where all kinds of different cultures came together and fused in one place. Uh, the 12th century king, Roger II, was seen as the most enlightened rulers of his day. In Roger sp- is a traditional Italian name? Apparently so. Okay. Um, yeah. Norman um, name. Mm, yeah. Interesting. He spoke several languages, including Arabic, and brought in innovations from both Arabia and the Byzantine worlds to make Sicily one of the most prosperous places in Europe. So he's basically a living refutation to this to the right-wing idea that um, migration is a new thing. Mm-hmm. It is a, it's a very yeah. new thing, yeah. yeah. So... Um, Exciting. Does he have a question for us? He does have a question. He wants to know if we share his opinion that uh, Dutch service in bars and restaurants is, quote, appallingly bad. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, but that's unfair. He's from Italy. Yes. So you cannot compare you cannot compare any restaurants any 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 cuisines with Italian. No, cuisine. but he's saying the no, service, service, not the food. Oh, the ser- oh, sorry. Yeah, the service is just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. it's true. No, nobody's even denying this. Everybody knows it. We just accept it. We reached a point that we just accepted that we will never be served in a decent way. It's no. it's it's bad here. Yeah, it's real I d- bad. I read this and I tried to think, is there any way I can defend service in Dutch restaurants? Like, no, I mean, I they can't. generally don't like physically assault you when you come into the restaurant. So <laughs> no. I guess you could say that, generally. <laughs> like, I, I have a feeling you have a story about this. <laughs> I can't tend to find, actually, the, the weird thing about service in the, the whole Dutch economy is that, uh, the, the, is that service in shops and restaurants completely the wrong way around. In, yeah. in shops, people just come over to you in about two seconds. You can't get door. rid of them. It's you can't get rid of them. They yeah. were trying choose the clothes for you and actually yeah. take them home for you whereas in restaurants I do what you want them to do in shops they just ignore you for yeah. about half an hour yeah. so yeah someone's got to go and actually switch that back around again yeah yeah. no I totally agree with that I can't like especially I feel like this is particularly bad which I I mean maybe you gentlemen have had this experience but I doubt it in like makeup or like like beauty stores where like you walk in like if you go into like the Douglas or like into the Mac store or even into like the section in the buying corp with the makeup like you just walk in and you just like there's like a cloud of like people that descend upon you and like will not leave you alone like i just want to look and see and they're like no no have you told what are you here looking for today like nothing well can i show you some nothing like no go away leave me alone yeah no uh service in bars is, is real bad yeah my solution for this is uh, befriending the bar staff and tipping exceptionally well and now at least in the couple of places that I go to regularly I get pretty good service but it's it's taken years it's taken me years maybe the problem this. is here that the uh, average Dutch person doesn't tip well enough yeah so they don't have to yeah I find do their best to get tips because they're not going to get anything yeah. even if they do their best and be and you know 
treat you like a human being, yeah. Yeah. then 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 they won't get tipped. Just do it a couple so. of coins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or befriend the owner. That also I find helps. I, uh-huh. I tend to get good service at places where I know the owners. So yeah. that's my uh, that's, that's my that's tip for tip. you. Good. So I hope that helps you. When are we going going to get good service here? We know the owner. Yeah. Truby doesn't like you guys. How many times do I have to tell you? We have to make our own coffee and everything. Yeah, we don't get even invited for dinner. (laughs) We do, but only some fifteen minutes before it's served. I am never inviting you two assholes to anything ever again. This week we're unpicking the international media frenzy that blew up around a teenage girl's suicide. We review the aftermath of this week's storms, look ahead to the Women's Football World Cup, and explain why everyone was saying "See you in the Hague" to Ivanka Trump. In our discussion, we analyse the outcome of long-running talks to reform the Dutch pension system. Such fun. Noah Pathoven, the author of the award-winning book Winning of Lehren, Winning or Learning, has died. The 17-year-old girl from Arnhem uh, had suffered from years of PTSD, depression and anorexia after being sexually assaulted as a child. She posted on Instagram that she would stop eating and would not be force-fed to be kept alive. Normally, we would not report on the tragic suicide of a teenage girl, but her story got picked up in the international press as they reported her death was a result of euthanasia, when it decidedly was not. This led to a ton of garbage reporting and me arguing with idiots claiming that the Netherlands was basically Logan's run. Yeah, and you're still not finished. No, no, I was. Uh, this is what I was doing yeah. before you guys got here. Yeah. I really, I need to stop. Yeah. So this was not reported in the Dutch media as a euthanasia case, but one rogue agency ran an English language report uh, saying it was euthanasia and it all spinned from there basically it it sort of it it was weird because basically what it seems to have happened is this was just like bad google translation like people who did not no it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't it was was quite deliberate it was it was an agency or notorious kind of thing called central european news oh really very you know very well known for exaggerating stories in european papers knowing that people aren't going to check the original language original and they put a story around saying that this was legal euthanasia and everyone, newspapers in the UK and the US just picked it up and just ran with it. Just picked it up and ran yeah, with it. And didn't it. check. That was the yeah. basic thing. They didn't check the facts with the original story. Yeah. So both Ade and the Gelderlander reported on her death, saying that she requested euthanasia at the Levens Einde Clinique in Den Haag, but was denied. She herself said in her Instagram post that she was going to stop eating and drinking, which is not the normal protocol for euthanasia. But the international media loves a good sensational, the Netherlands just euthanizes everyone's story. Yep. And that's what they ran. Yeah, that's what they went with. Yeah, initially, although to be fair, many organiz- many media outlets did change or amend or take down their story when it emerged that it was wrong. Some did. I mean, yeah. the like the Washington Post in particular had this like terrible like retraction where they mm. like didn't change the headline and correct. I don't know. It was, it was really. I was really like. It was even picked up by the Washington Post. Yeah, the Washington oh, yeah, Post had a story wow. about it. Yeah, it was on the front page in Italian papers. It was yeah. everywhere. Well, the the best correction I read about, which you won't believe, was by Lad Bible. Who actually didn't just post a correction, but actually detailed what the original story said, yeah. why it was wrong, where it was mm. wrong, yeah. and compared the two side by side. Yeah, and then the Guardian today has had a pretty good uh, retraction, not retraction. Well, they didn't run the original because they, they didn't run the original anyway. story, yeah. but they sort yeah. of had like a takedown of what it was. Mm. But yeah. So, so what is the fascination that the international media had with this story? I mean, so it's a novel concept in some ways. Uh, euthanasia is. Uh, only legal in some form in the Netherlands, Belgium, Colombia, Luxembourg, Canada, Switzerland, Germany, and some U.S. states. Uh, the U.S. Uh, the Netherlands also more broadly permits euthanasia than in other places. So, 
Uh, in some of these places, like children can't have euthanasia, but they can in the Netherlands. The claim that the Netherlands is just killing everyone by euthanasia is ridiculous, but this is sometimes what like seems to get reported, like particularly in like a right wing American like news circles. Mm. Uh, the Daily Mail also likes to yeah. like run these like crazy. I, I also remember that uh, this uh, Republican uh, presidential candidate Rick Santorum, he once, or at least in the Netherlands, he once famously claimed that. Uh, uh, um, Elderly people, they wear bracelets with "Do not euthanize me" yes. because they get euthanized all the time. All the time, yeah. 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 Um, you, you talked about the famous death panels. Yes, yeah. death panels. Death yeah. panels. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. Uh, none of this is true. So the most recent data is from 2017. In that year, there were about 7,000 cases of euthanasia in the country. It accounts for about 4% of deaths in total. Most of those, more than 80%, were patients with a terminal untreatable illness, such as a terminal cancer, and they were also over the age of 60. So for the most part, it's like older like terminally ill yes, people yeah. who are very likely to die within like the next basically couple of months, essentially. In, in uh, insufferable pain. Exactly. Yeah, in their yeah. insufferable yeah. pain. Yeah. Their life is only going to get worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, only a very tiny number, uh, 60 people or 1% of the cases were related to psychiatric issues. Um, that was one of the criticisms in this case is that this girl was suffering from psychiatric issues. Further, an even tinier number, only one person in 2017 was someone under the age of 18 in 2017, there's only 60 people who are even under the age of 40. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it is extraordinarily rare that it, euthanasia is extremely rare, period, here. And it's even more extremely rare that it is a younger person or a person who is essentially not suffering from a terminal disease mm. and is already, like, of a certain age, uh, which, of course, has a lot to do with the fact that more older people get, like, terminal cancers than younger people do. Yeah. And so what is the protocol for euthanasia in this country for people who uh, may not know? So, first, the patient has to request euthanasia. Um, it does not happen yeah. the other way around. No, so you are not, like, nominated for euthanasia. Okay. Uh, they go to their doctor. This is usually their general practitioner. Something like 90% of euthanasia cases are initiated by a general practitioner. Um, they discuss the possibility. In order to move forward, the doctor must be satisfied that the patient's request is voluntary and well-considered. They must have informed the patient about their situation and prognosis. They must have come to a conclusion together that there is no reasonable alternative to the patient's situation. They have consulted at least one other independent physician who must see the patient and give a written opinion as to whether or not the due care criteria, as it's called, are set out have been fulfilled. They must have exercised medical care and intention in terminating the patient's life or assisting the patient's suicide. All of the cases of euthanasia are then reviewed by a pathologist, and that is all that information is then reviewed by a special committee to make sure that there's no problem in the decision-making process. It's all really goddamn Dutch, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> a lot, lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. 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 There's like a huge that. amount of paperwork. Yeah, there's yeah. a huge yeah. amount of paperwork. Um, With other words, you can't get euthanized by accident yeah you don't yeah. Get, you don't you don't just like accidentally check the wrong box and then they right. show up someday and just like inject right. you or something. yeah and, and in contrast kind of perception that dutch doctors are kind of enthusiastically going around giving their patients lethal doses to get shot at them I and mean, I, I interviewed a doctor who uh, about this and he said he does about one he has about one case a year which is kind of standard for a dutch yeah he says it's the worst thing he has to do in yeah. his job and he, yeah. he hates it he hates doing it he does it because you know it is part of his job and uh, but he's he, 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 he's a complete wreck around the time and then he's and he, he's stressed out for the whole time for the whole time it takes the review to conclude and yeah. to say you did it by the book even yeah. though he knows fine well yeah, he did that it, it was by the fine. book because it will be very clear in the sort of 
uh, without going into too much detail, the personal experiences that I've had with this, like the doctors don't even often don't bring it up them themselves. Like it's really a thing that like has to come from the patient. It's not even a sort of thing where like you're in the waiting room with the GP and the GP is like, well, have you considered euthanasia? It's really like they basically do not bring it up unless the patients themselves bring it up. Prime Minister Mark Rutte had a very busy week. On Monday, he reached an outline agreement on pension reform with workers, unions, employers and opposition parties, possibly ending nine years of negotiations. We will uh, talk about uh, this. Only the Dutch could negotiate for something for nine years. It's it's insane. We have to bring everyone to a consensus. We have to ask everyone's opinion that the the graphic designer of the brochure also has to like voice (laughs) their opinion about the pension reform before we can move forward. We're just going to keep talking about pensions until we all retire. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. After the break, we will uh, talk about uh, talk more about this uh, uh, agreement they reached Uh, on Thursday during a debate in the Tweede Kamer on gas extraction in the northern province of Groningen. Rutte officially apologized to the people of Groningen for the night they had to live in for so long. The extraction of gas in Groningen has caused earthquakes in the province for decades now, and uh, these led to uh, severe damages to buildings and also uh, psychological damage uh, Mm. as well. Um, Was he describing Groningen or No, the the situation. Oh, the podcast. Yeah. Probably this podcast. Both. Yeah. Rutte listens. Yeah. Uh, listen, Rutte oh listens my god! How crazy would it be if we found out that Rutte listens to our podcast? If he does, then yeah. s- show us a si- give us a sign. Give us a sign. Yeah, <laughs> like something. Uh, tweet of us with the minister. Yeah. You don't even have to tweet at us. You can just like just you can just slide into our DMs. Rutte, exactly. You don't yeah, have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we want really want to know. Yeah. Uh, Rutte added that his cabinet completely underestimated the complex task of compensating people and repairing and reinforcing houses and buildings in Groningen and regretted. The fact uh, that safety had not been the number one priority. Two weeks ago, an unusually large earthquake with a magnitude of uh, 3.4 on the Richter scale hit the city of Groningen. Uh, on the same day, Rutte had to answer MPs' questions uh, on the news revelation that Rutte blocked the publication of impact calculations of the climate agreement in the days before Prinsjesdag, or as we like to call it, Budget Day. Budget Day. Uh, Rutte insisted he hadn't done anything wrong. He, quote, when I make a mistake, I admit them, but this time I didn't, end quote. According to Rutte, it was agreed that the calculations would be published accompanied by a government response to the report. And as this first had to be written, the report couldn't be published immediately after it was finished. Fair enough. Which makes sense. Um, All coalition parties backed the prime minister, much to the annoyance of the opposition parties. That's their goal in life, is to be annoyed with the coalition parties. Exactly. BVV leader uh, Geert Wilders put a motion of no confidence to the vote, but it was only supported by Denk, there they are again, and the Partij voor de Dieren. I'm sorry, Denk and the PVV are on the same team for yes, something? Yes, yes. There you go. Mm. On Groningen, yeah. I, I, Groningen. I really yeah. don't understand how this works, but yeah, that's y- interesting. Know, what it is. And the Partij voor de Dieren joined them as yeah, well. Yeah, sure, so why not? So it's a really so unique spectrum. combination yeah. of agree. Yeah. So, uh, other than cycling around in The Hague and looking uh, very dashing with and park, his... And parking his bike and parking against his, the pole and not having it taken away, which I don't get, because yeah. it happens to anyone else who just have their bike cut away and they I mean, it's, it's good to be Prime Minister. Yeah. You've seen the biking video, though? Yeah, the biking video. And yeah. also, uh, there was a lot of... Um, I'm not sure if this was because the GES was here, so there was just, like, a lot of foreign press, like, in town with, like, not a full schedule, necessarily. So there was, <laughs> I felt like there was a lot of photos in, like... 
international media circles of like Ruta going to the pension accords and stuff, which I feel oh, like really? normally would not have happened. Huh. But there was just a lot of photos of him like with his like collar unbuttoned and his sleeves rolled up and like everyone was like making a lot of comments about how dashing he looked. And because early in the week it was so nice weather, he was also uh, walking around with his sunglasses yeah. so it also added to his uh, dashing appearance. He looks very dashing, yeah. yeah. So what else was uh, Rutte dashing about doing this week? Uh, Mark Rutte was present when the new Eerste Kamer was installed. Uh, 44 senators were replaced by new members, including its popular chairwoman, Anki Broekers-Knol. I'm sorry, what's her name? Anki Broekers-Knol. What's her name? Anki Broekers-Knol. What's her name, Molly? <laughs> Anki Broekers-Knol. Farewell, oh, farewell. She's very popular, uh, yeah. but yes, unfortunately she has to go. But she received a knighthood from the king, and Mark Rutte personally pinned the distinctions on her, which he added, is very difficult with the dresses. <laughs> He needs more experience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are not going to speculate on Rutte's sexuality, guys. We're not doing it. Yeah, but he managed. So now uh, Anki Bukas Knoll is a knight in the order of uh, Oranje Nassau. And there's more, even more news about Anki Bukas Knoll. I'm sorry, sorry, what's her name? Anki Bukas Knoll. So, as I said, she's a very popular uh, chairwoman of the Senate, uh, but the VVD decided not to put her on the candidate list for the new Senate. But yesterday it was announced that she will be n- the new junior minister for immigration. Mm. Yeah, last week, uh, following the example of Art van der Steur, Ivo Opstelte and Fred Teve, Fred Teve. Uh, Mark Harbers uh, was the fourth VVD politician who had to resign from the office uh, at the Justice Ministry. Yeah, he resigned over uh, conf- like issues with immigration numbers, asylum uh, seeker crime, uh, crime numbers. Crime numbers yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Anki Broekers-Knol is also... What's her f- name? Anki Broekers-Knol. It's a great name. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice name. Uh, but she's also a favorite day politician. So, so she's going to get caught up in some sort of scandal. Probably. And I don't um, no, I, I, I don't want to see her leave in that way. So no. I'm kind of worried that uh, that will be the end of her. She will have to leave. Does she have any connection to the Bonnages affair? We don't know. Oh, but dun, she dun, is dun, a favorite day politician. Yeah. So I hope you've been keeping your uh, Bonnages. Yeah, Anki I hope so too. Mm. Yeah. The state broadcaster, NPO, is giving its main TV stations another major overhaul. The third channel, NPO 3, which is currently aimed at younger viewers, will focus on regional programming, so the audience demographic will change dramatically as it's mostly older people that watch regional TV. Adverts are going to be scrapped from all three channels before 8pm, in a move that will cost around 60 million euros. Two-thirds of that money will be compensated by the Treasury, with the rest coming from savings and fees. Advertisers criticised the decision, saying it would restrict their ability to reach their target audience. Will there be more money for Eurovision? We really, really want to know this. Uh, no, still no? not. Why Goddammit. not? Yeah, because Mark Rutter says you can do it for 15 euros. <laughs> okay, then he will do it for 15 euros. I would watch that. Would you keep the bonnetches for the 15 euros? <laughs> well, if, you had, if you had a Eurovision budget of 15 euros, and that's it, that's all you got, yeah. what would you spend your money on? Inviting Ivanka Trump. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, just as, as much... Um, Bitter bottles as I could buy. Oh, that's also a good one. <laughs> Probably 10 or something. Slingers. I think yeah. I would spend mine on yeah. slingers. Yeah. Uh, and the Dutch media is becoming uh, less racist, right, Gordon? So says a report commissioned by the Council of Europe. Uh, it said mainstream political discourse and media reporting in the Netherlands were still, quote, strongly influenced by a xenophobic, fear-fueling rhetoric and politicians have openly expressed racist beliefs of biological superiority. So I wonder I, who that would be. Who would they be talking hmm. about? So in other news, we it's just, just Dutch people are in the Dutch media. Yeah. Uh, the report also criticised the, quote, hostile rhetoric on social media and said hate crimes against Muslims, attacks on mosques and crimes against LGBT people were underreported. 
and anti-Semitic chants to continue to be a feature of football matches. Like, for real. That's yeah. a that's a that's it's, a thing. It's a real yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, the report by the Council's Commission for Racism and Intolerance. Uh, I'd have thought they w- w- would have a commission that was against racism and intolerance. Personally, <laughs> um, said there needed to be tougher sanctions. Maybe it's to a th- Dutch commission. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it said there should be there, there needed to be tougher sanctions to enforce hate crime and anti-discrimination legislation. However, it did say progress has been made in tackling racism and intolerance in the Netherlands. Okay, that's good. I okay, guess. we'll take that. Yeah. One way that they've tackled it is by getting rid of uh, Ivanka Trump because she's now left in the Netherlands. <laughs> so it's a slightly less racist place. Ah, oh, that's, oh, uh, that's smart. Ivanka Trump came to The Hague this week, but not in the way we all hoped. She, along with Mark Rutte, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and a bunch of other political and business bigwigs, were at the Global Entrepreneurship Summit. The GES was started in 2010 by then-President Barack Obama, has become an annual event co-hosted every year by the U.S. and another country. Previous summits have taken place in India, Kenya, and Malaysia. So uh, what did she say? Eh, Pompeo said we should make entrepreneurship great again. Uh, the U.S. ambassador to the Netherlands, Pete Hoekstra, told the Dutch they should ban Chinese company Huawei from 5G networks. They're kind of doing that already, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Ivanka Trump wants to help women and minorities start businesses. Right. Okay, perhaps she should talk, talk to, to her, her father. father. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's been pretty much been the joke. Yeah. But it's basically seen from the article I read about this that uh, the Americans turned up and said, business is great, the government is bad, and the, the Europeans said... The government is good. Business is, uh, it, it, it is not so good. And they then said, we all agree. Yeah, yeah. that's that pretty much sums up the opening speech by uh, Mike Pompeo and Mark Rutte. Yeah. And then the poor mayor of The Hague was like, who was also on stage with the two of them, was like, The Hague's great. The weather's nice. We <laughs> should go to the beach. Mark Rutte was there as well. Yeah, it was ah, Rutte, you... Pompeo, and then... Uh, and then um, What's her name? Kick, uh... Ivanka Trump? No, the oh. mayor of the Oh, Hague. Uh, Kricker. 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 Ah. Paulina Kricker. Oh, so he even had a busier week than we than, yeah. than I thought. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the, they didn't then go to organize Havening and start building a massive bonfire in the shape of Trump. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. So if how I'm, was it in general? Mm, better than Belgium. Worse than pretty much everything else. <laughs> so pretty bad. Yeah. A second night of severe storms across the Netherlands again brought down trees and disrupted traffic as strong winds and heavy rain battered most of the country. Ironically, Ivanka Trump arrives and the weather (laughs) is really terrible. Yeah, and blood was coming from my faucet. (laughs) The uh, KNME, the weather bureau, had uh, first issued a code yellow warning, but later in the evening updated this to orange for everything but Zeeland as the full extent of the storm became apparent. Up to five centimeters of rain fell in some places, causing localized trees which had been blown down and other damage. Uh, in Amsterdam, five people were slightly injured in the storm, including one person hit by, falling, by a falling tree next to the Amstel River, local media said. Elsewhere, several fires were started by lightning. According to weather bureau Rear Online, the strongest wind speed, 127 kilometers per hour, was recorded in Utrecht. So, um, yeah, did we all enjoy the storms? Uh, yeah, I always like the, like, storm when I'm sleeping, basically, so yeah, it was, it was nice. Too. That's the thing, it came in the night, and everyone complained about the weather, and I thought it's been lovely, bright, dry weather for about the last six weeks, and then there's uh, a bit of rain, and everyone talks, behaves like it's Armageddon. And having moved here from Scotland, I still can't get my head around this idea that <laughs> five centimetres of rain is... Is a code is, yellow. Is, is, a, is a code yellow. I don't I, I thought it was quite nice, because Saturday and Sunday were kind of, like 
unnecessarily warm in my opinion and of course the rain really like cooled everything off to yeah. what i think is a much more pleasant temperature so yeah me enjoyed too. it we just yeah. sort of watched the lightning it was nice yeah but i think that the highlight for the whole storms for me uh was in out in zealand where a tree came down and exposed a cocaine laboratory <laughs> yes <laughs> that is a great story yeah, that is zealand right it's, yes. it's right on the border of Zeeland and Brabant. Yeah. If you cross the water, you are in Brabant. So it's technically, it's technically Brabant. It's Brabant. Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, it should now should become Brabant. Given <laughs> yeah, Brabant. for sure. <laughs> Brabant should, should annex just, it. Uh, <laughs> I but agree. On Friday, there's supposed to be more uh, more storms, more hail, more wind and rain, more uh, more drama. Yeah. Yes. And I also liked uh, Ben Coach joke. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had he a good on joke. Twitter. It's a weather-related uh, joke. He tweeted, uh, British people, might rain later, I'll take an umbrella. Dutch people, according to the graphs I downloaded, there is a 61.8% chance of precipitation between 9.20 and 9.30 a.m. But if I leave at 9.7, I can avoid it. Yeah. Yep. That's that's and that's, that's, that's basically sums up everything. That is that and is Dutch people in a nutshell. And everybody I showed this joke, they said, "Yeah, I did this, this morning." Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. it's it's it's, it's, it's very true. And so we'll be talking about the, the, in the pensions discussion very shortly uh, about how we, we we had strikes disrupting the country. But I tell you what, if they shut down Bijenrad, oh my god, this country would not. <laughs> that would be yeah. that would be the end of it. Yeah. In sports news, the Netherlands men's football team kicked off against England about an hour after we started recording this podcast, because we're actually <laughs> recording on Thursday night. Uh, so we can't bring you any news of that game. They were playing in the semi-finals of the world's most incomprehensible sporting event, the Nations League, which is being played in Portugal. The host nation will be playing in the final on Sunday after they beat Switzerland on Wednesday thanks to a Cristiano Ronaldo hat-trick. On Friday, the Women's World Cup begins in France, and the Leo Vinnen, as European champions, are among the favourites. Their first match is against New Zealand in Le Havre. The other teams in the group are Cameroon and Canada. And there was also good news for the Dutch women this week because the Cannes Bay promised them a series of pay rises good for them. to bring their yeah. earnings from international matches to the same level as the men by 2023. That's, That's too, good news. too damn long, but good news. It's good yeah. news, although it's only an increase in the match fee, which is a pretty small sum. No. In the, but still. It's not, they're not going to get earn the millions that the men no. earn from their clubs, but it's a start. And, uh, football, play, uh, and football stadiums are going to be healthier places. Yes, because the Cannes Bay has announced smoking is going to be banned at all professional grounds from 2020 and all amateur clubs five years later. I, I was amazed to hear that apparently... It's, it's still allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it is uh, apparently the, the only clubs that have uh, banned smoking at the moment are Ajax, Vitesse Arnhem and Almira City. PSV are going to follow suit next season, but Ajax's ban, which has been in place since 2008, um, they've had a lot of trouble enforcing it, and they were actually fined last season for not complying with the regulations because they couldn't stop people smoking. Wait, they got banned... For they got fined for not imposing their own smoking ban they imposed voluntarily. Yeah. <laughs> That's that sounds also sounds very Dutch. Yeah, um, and given that I mean, Ajax fans all worship uh, um, Johan Cruyff, who of course uh, sadly is one of the most famous victims of uh, lung cancer, mm. and was a was a chain smoker during his playing days. You'd have thought that maybe if that doesn't convince him not to smoke, then what is going ever going to? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, perhaps I could do some kind of stub it out for Johan campaign. You should sell this idea to Ajax. I think I you can make a lot of money yeah. off of it. We'll be discussing the new pension deal after this word from our sponsors. 
Hey you, you listening to the podcast for free. We're really glad you all like our OPEF coverage and Dick Laureate jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl to donate. We will give a shout out to all our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender stroopwafels. For 75 euros, Molly will watch one entire football match. And for the low, low, low amounts of 100 euros, I will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please go to patreon.com slash DutchNewsNL to support us and keep Truby fed, which is very important. After nine years of talks on reforming the Dutch pension system, the government this week produced an outline deal that had been agreed with opposition parties and the trade unions. The Dutch have been negotiating their pension reform as longer than I've lived in this country. Yeah, not much longer than I lived in this country. Yeah. Under the terms of the deal, the pension age will continue to rise, but at a slower rate, pensions will become more flexible and there will be more options to retire early, especially for people in physically demanding jobs. The cabinet also wants to make it compulsory for self-employed workers to insure themselves against working capacity. The deal will now be put to members of the SMMV trade union in a referendum. I learned that the FMV has its own parliament. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Gordon, why on earth have these talks taken longer than I've lived in the Netherlands, which is so goddamn long? Uh, well, Jan-Peter Balkenende, remember him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why do I remember him? Because he once stepped on his skateboard and yeah. fell. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, he, he looks like a Harry Potter. Yeah. yeah. Well, he started the ball rolling, not the skateboard, uh, back in 2010. <laughs> back then, unions organized a mass demonstration against plans to change the pre-pension rules, so Balkanenda sat down to try to thrash out a deal, but his government collapsed before the talks were done, so the baton passed to the first Ritter cabinet, and then the second, and then the third. <laughs> What's interesting, as Matthijs Bauman pointed out on news here, is that the talks were supposed to secure the future of the pension funds, but that's been overtaken by all kinds of other issues, like the retirement age, arrangements for the self-employed, and what we do with people who are in demanding jobs where you can't go on much past 65. And what will probably not have helped uh, with these uh, negotiations is that it was Mark Rutte, I think in 2010 or 2011 or something, that he raised the pension age from yes. 65 to whatever it's now. Yeah, 66 that, and 46 months or something. Yeah, something yeah like that, that. that was in the uh, coalition agreement for the first Twitter cabinet. Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yes. And that was famously, of course, something that Wilder signed off on, having said right through the campaign he would not do it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like politics. a Wilder's thing. Yeah. And there's been a... Quite a bit of striking about this, right? The public transit people struck last week, two weeks ago, regarding the pension age. Yeah, although just as Scottish people are a bit bemused by the way the Dutch panic about the weather when it starts raining. Um, people in France and Italy probably wonder <laughs> what one of the fusses about the Dutch go on strike for one day every five years. They go on strike oh, for 66 <laughs> minutes. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> they very politely don't even do it during rush hour. Yeah, yeah. so there's a one hour stoppage in March for, well, not an hour, it's 66 minutes. Yep. There's a symbolic protest to bring the pension age down to 66. Uh, that was followed by a day of disruption last week when no trains, buses or trams are running but it was all still quite orderly because the eye tunnel was open to cyclists in Amsterdam and it was a bit busier on the roads but uh, it's not like the country ground to a standstill. Yeah, everybody just accepted that they couldn't go to work yeah. or go to, everybody go to the university. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. That came after the talks had broken down last November and once the parties came back to the table they managed to come up with a deal pretty quickly. So what does the deal say? Right, okay, so here's, here's the interesting Have you details. read it? Have you read the whole deal? I have not read the whole deal, no. You had one job, Gordon. One job. <laughs> I had a few other jobs, actually. Oh. We won't get into that. Uh, first of all, the retirement age is going to be frozen at uh, its current level of 66 years and four months. It will go up to 67 in 2024, which is three years later than was originally planned. And, but it'll so be it like be a, frozen. It'll be a gradual it'll be a increase. Gradual yeah, it's yeah. not just going to go up to 67 in 2024. Yeah, well, it's frozen until 2024. 
two and then goes up to 67 in 2024. Yeah. And then it's it, then it was due to rise in step with life expectancy. So every year longer that people are due to live, they had to retire a year later. Now yeah. it's going to be that every year the extra that you live, the retirement age will go up by eight months. Okay. And people in physically and mentally demanding jobs will now be able to retire up to three years earlier uh, without their employers being penalised. So... This podcast does that count as a mentally demanding job? <laughs> yeah, I think it would. And given that there is a that there is an, a bottom limit, so there's an upper limit for how much um, you can compensate people, uh, and we're we're well below that. Yeah, for, 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 sure. for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely do that a claim on that. Great. Um, so there's not a specific list of jobs that count as uh, unusually demanding, but there'll be no early exit penalty for the first eleven hundred euros. Okay. So it is targeted at people on low pay Lower. who tend to have heavier jobs. Workers will also be able to take up to 10% of their pension as a lump sum when they retire. So they can use it to pay off their mortgage, oh, okay. they can extend their house, they can go on a nice round-the-world trip while that's a good they idea. get too old. That's that kind of nice. And the accumulation of the state pension will also be layered so that instead of having it be a flat 2% a year at the moment, when you when you start, um, when you're younger, um, the, the, the money you pay in will count for more than when mm. you're older because of compound interest. Mm-hmm. So it's fairer on the younger workers. Mm. Also encourages people to start saving earlier. Because yeah. that does mean that people who are in their mid-40s now people like me who have been paying in under the old system now and now switch to the new system kind of get get hit you know get a bit of a rotten deal yeah but I you mean, know, you know it's fine. <laughs> but they're going to try and work that out somehow they haven't said how and pension <laughs> funds will no longer have to build up quite such big reserves which has been a point of concern for them mainly because we've had very low, low interest rates for yeah. about a decade and that means that they're the, the reserves have been run down yeah, yeah they're making the so that's going to become more flexible so that they're not legally required to have such enormous yeah. sums mm. uh, in reserve. And finally, self-employed people will be required, and this is one of the bones of contention, uh, will be required to take out insurance cover against being unfit for work. And that was demand of both the unions and the Employers Association uh, and VFA. Which is interesting because these people are not usually part of the FNFA, but yeah. still the FNFA thinks that they have an obligation well, to... Well, this is for the funny thing, yeah, the, 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 who speaks for the self-employed? Because yeah. they don't have... There is an FMFA self-employed branch, but it's quite small and not very powerful within the union. No, but, yeah, of course not. But basically, the unions who mainly represent people in employment have now thrashed out a deal on behalf of set of peers. And yeah. Who are, are not, peers happy are not happy about with it. it at really all. unhappy no, with it. No, come around to that. And what so, is it all going to cost? So the new, more gradual increase in the pension age on its own will eventually cost around four billion a year. In November, the cabinet said that was too big a sum, and it was a big part of the reason the talks broke down. But now, of course, in between the talks have broken down, we've had the strikes. Also, of course, they now need support of opposition parties in the Senate, and now so they've decided that they can live with that after all. So what happens? What are the next steps, Gordon? Right. So now there's going to be a referendum of. What is Dave Sestak doing? Is there in pension negotiations? What will they put on the side of a bus? I wonder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do do, yeah. do, do, do you want to leave or remain in the, in the Dutch pension <laughs> system? The, the Dutch yeah. pension system. Uh, so, the, the, so FN, yeah, it'll be a referendum of FNFA members. It's about okay. a million. It's about a million of them, even though the numbers have been declining. And uh, the, they are the largest union. The vote is going to take place online hmm. in the second half of next week. Uh, the head of the union, Han Busker, has said it's a good deal, but interestingly, he didn't actually give any advice yeah, on whether to vote and for whether or not against. to vote for or against. Yeah, yeah it's a very is sensitive issue for them, I think. Yeah. They spent a long time negotiating it, but I think they're aware that a lot of their members aren't totally happy, so they're treading very, very carefully. Yeah. Other unions have also given the deal a cautious welcome, or said at any rate it's a better deal than was on the table last November. My favourite quote came from Hans de Boer of VNO NSAW, who said, it is neat cutter piece. <laughs> I mean, you it's know, he's right. Piece. It's yeah. a pension <laughs> deal, not cat <laughs> piss. Yeah. So what's the reaction then, Gordon? 
Well, the political reaction, uh, obviously Social Affairs Minister Wouter Kolmees, who uh, kind of led the negotiations for the government, said it would renew and improve the Dutch pension system and ensure it remains the best in the world. So I uh, I was listening to this uh, podcast of the NSA and they had this episode on the pension reforms. It was mm. not last week, but the week before that, but they basically uh, predicted that there was going to be a pension deal. And so they also talked about this claim that the Dutch or apparently has the best pension system in the world, but they also said that basically because the rest of the world has a far worse system mm. than, than the Dutch pension system. So whenever you hear politicians say this, you should be aware that in the rest of the world it's 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 even worse. It's worse. Here. Yeah, it's yeah. the best of a bad lot. It's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like many things in the Netherlands. Uh, <laughs> it's much better than everywhere else, but that's <laughs> but because everyone yeah, else no, is doing exactly. a real shitty job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the Global Pension Index uh, last year rated the Netherlands as having the best out of 34 national pension schemes, slightly better than Denmark's. Uh, Colmes also claimed it was a fairer deal for younger workers and a more flexible deal for older ones. I'm uh, just happy that we beat Denmark. Finally, we beat finally. Uh, one of yes. these Scandinavian countries. Yeah. 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 yeah, they had it coming. The partisan government obviously were very enthusiastic. Desenzestig, which is about to call Miss Party, put up a slightly bizarre video of Rob Yetten scrolling diagrams on the inside of a glass screen. If you haven't seen it, we'll. Link to I it haven't well, seen this. I have not seen it's, that. It's They're just excited because there's going to be a referendum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that will be it. New CDR leader Peter Hermer said it was an important day for the future of the Netherlands and a success for the Bolder model. And Geert-Jan Segers of the Christenunie said he was happy it gave more clarity to pensioners, more perspective for young people, and more security for the self-employed and was also backed by the PFDR and GroenLinks that they went for a cosy chat with Mark Rutte on mm-hmm. Monday morning because of course Rutte now needs the support of an opposition party in the Senate he's got two on his side now because um, PFDR leader Lodewijk Asser said it was a good deal for young and old and hoped FNF members and of course a lot of them vote for the Labour Party uh, would endorse it uh, while Jesse Claver said it showed that cooperation between left-wing parties worked but not everybody was happy no, they weren't. Uh, obviously, um, the opposition parties, uh, Geert Wilders... Spoiler alert, Geert Wilders just continues to not be happy He's with not happy anything. with the government, yeah. He said the no deal was a victory for bosses, and he accused the unions of basically cozying up to the um, employers' associations. All right. Lilian Marijnissen of the SP said again um, that the retirement age should be brought back down to 65 uh, which will just keep saying until she gets 65, I think. Yeah. And and, and what does Hank Kroll think of this? Yeah, Hank what Kroll, does Hank Kroll yes, think? All important. Hank Kroll, of course, attacked the new system for calculating interest on pensions uh, in a way that kept the figure artificially low. So, the rake again. <laughs> again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, bear in mind, of course, that Hank Kroll himself uh, was very good at keeping pensions artificially low by just not paying them. He's <laughs> 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 So, he has, he has some experience. Of that. He's, he's speaking from a position of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least he knows what he's talking about. And freelancers are are real unhappy. Freelancers are very very unhappy with the. Um, yeah. Are we unhappy? I guess we're unhappy. We're, we're freelancers. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, so you're supposed to be I unhappy. Thought, I sort of thought instinctively when I first heard about it that it was good that there was cover for yeah. self-employed people if, yeah. if you suddenly can't work. I've, you know, I was diagnosed with a hernia a couple of weeks ago and suddenly thought, you know, if I can't work because of this thing, then, you know, I don't it's want a real to be problem. Suddenly, it's a real problem. Colme said the cost would bring down the cost of insurance cover because, of course, only about 20% of certain payers have incapacity insurance because it's just cost too much. So the argument is that if it's compulsory, like the health insurance, mm, it will become more reasonable. Be we'll have to see if that works out in practice. Uh, a number of organisations who represent ZZP were very angry about it. Stichting ZZP Nederland suggested it was a stitch up by the unions to make it more expensive for freelancers and to take them away as competition for people in fixed jobs. Mm, interesting. Um, there's maybe a grain of truth in that in the sense that obviously the unions do basically represent people in the 
employed paid sector. And there's a guy on Twitter called Bus Funder Hattert who went into a very detailed thread, which is well worth reading, outlining all the technical shortcomings. Are we becoming are... one of these news outlets that just like quotes random people? Some guy named Bass on um, Twitter? No, no, not random people. It's quite right. well informed, I thought. Okay. And as many ZFF payers wouldn't qualify for insurance. And of course, pre-existing conditions generally aren't covered when you take out an insurance policy. Yeah. So I wouldn't be covered for my hernia if yeah. it caused me to be unable to work, if it was already right. a problem when I took out the insurance policy. And those things are usually the biggest risk. So if you've already had you know, some kind of injury or an illness or cancer, yeah. you will not be covered if those yeah. things occur. So therefore, it's not the safety net. That it's not as good as it sounds yeah. initially. Yeah. And also yeah. in the past, there was a scheme called the VRZ, which was a, um, a compulsory workers' uh, incapacity insurance policy, which ran from two, 1998 to 2004. It was for maternity care, right? Yeah, it did partly cover maternity care, but it was uh-huh. also generally for... In, there, Just, was a, there was a maternity clause in it, definitely, and that was another... Issue. When it was abolished in 2004, all the money that was paid in, and people have paid in you know, um, hundreds of euros in some cases, you had to pay up to about nearly 9% of your income, yeah. uh, just basically got absorbed by the government, and you never saw it again. And there was, as you say, it included a provision for maternity cover, but it meant that when, when the law was scrapped, the, the whole thing was thrown out, and there was no cover for self-employed women getting pregnant, and it took them four years to come up with a new regulation, yeah. and women who got pregnant in between those two periods were left literally uh, to the skip and val, yeah. Between two caught between two stools, yeah, and uh, they had to fight for thirteen years through to the courts the money to back. get their compensation. Yeah. So there was a big controversy. Yeah. Left a lot of scars, and I think a lot of Zeta payers are deeply, deeply distrustful of the government's motives, given you know, the, the history of what happened with the VRZ ruling. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is one of these things where it all sounds very good and noble and reasonable in the broader sense. When you get into the details, it's not as good as it looks. Yeah. So what do we think, guys? Pension reform. Well, I think it's, um, if you look at how the pension system works now, there are a lot of old people right now. Yeah. They live Ruining longer, everything. They, yeah. uh, they retire, and, and because they live longer, money. the pension system has to generate more money. But at the same time, uh, younger people are, you know, flow in much later because they are studying or they, are, they first start as a set-set payer. So yeah, reform was needed, mm. and I think people realized that nine years ago it took them nine years to come up with something. And also, a lot of people are set set payers, so you you need to do something about that. Yeah. But also, there are a lot of people who are set set payers because they don't want to deal with these yeah. pension stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, if you are forcing people to join a pension um, a fund or whatever, if you are set set payer, that also seems bad, I think, in some way. But it's just a little bit hard for me to grasp what I think of this pension. It must seem a very long, long way away for you. Yeah, I, yeah I'm 27 yeah. now. Yeah, what do, you, do you save for retirement, Paul? Yeah, you must. I mean, you have I, a yeah, job, I have, so... I, uh, I had three jobs, and yeah, at all jobs, I had a, I, I joined a pension, a pension fund. Mm. So I, I already enlisted it for three pension funds. Yeah. And I get mail from them every... All the time. All the yeah. time, and it's very annoying. But I, I mentioned this podcast I was listening to, and they said, one of these journalists who were on this podcast, they said that there was this psychology professor at the University of Amsterdam and he studied why people do not want to talk about pensions Mm -hmm. and it is because when young people think of their pensions they don't think of golfing and having long vacations they think of poverty and death Mm -hmm. so it's something that you know subconsciously you do not want to think about and also when people give money to their pension funds it feels the same as giving money to a complete stranger Mm -hmm. so it's also it just doesn't feel natural to to think of it so that's why I think I just don't care about it yeah. because you know. But I just um, trust the pension funds to, you know, <laughs> to have the money there to, to have, have the money, money when yeah. I when I need it. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I'm often. confident that they will do a much better job than I would, you know, invest my yeah, own money into something. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I think I'm. 
uh, I just trust the pension funds uh, maybe too much. I don't know, mm-hmm. but yeah. But you're closer to the rest of us than retirement. Uh, I do. Born, but, so what do you? What but, is? What's I, your strategy? But the thing is, I, mean, I don't because um, I'm self-employed. I paid into pension funds when I was working back in the UK, but because of the situation I ended up in here, where I can't really take a full-time job because of my other commitments with uh, with raising two children single-handed, I ended up being self-employed. So I don't have incapacity cover uh, not really paying into a pension however mm-hmm. i do have some other investments like a um, like a rental property yeah. that uh, you know, will hopefully provide enough cover for me uh, when i retire but okay. uh, it's all yeah it's a slightly unorthodox situation yeah. might but certainly if there was some kind of, i think you know in the case of the incapacity i mean i feel very conscious that especially having two children you know i'm, I'm, I'm a bit vulnerable to if something suddenly happens unexpected yeah. like i'm in an accident you know how am i going to um, cover my living expenses day to day and i don't really have an answer to that so i'd welcome some kind of incapacity cover although i think the details of what's being proposed still need to be thrashed out in detail yeah um, one of the things i was reading about, about the, the incapacity <laughs> cover today was to said they were saying like yeah uh part of the reason that people don't get it um and i recall looking into this when I had like first become a freelancer here is is that it's quite expensive especially for people who work in like heavy industries it can be Mm. like five or six hundred euros a month for other people maybe a bit less but it's still like a lot of money yeah um and often much more than just like people can reasonably afford basically for this so and this this guy Bas van der Hart as we mentioned earlier on I mean his twitter thread included things details about um he's made this public but uh, he he was um he went he applied for incapacity insurance one of the things they said was well you're overweight so your weight makes you a bigger risk so we're Mm. going to put up your premium yeah and if you want to cut bring your premium down again you're going to have to lose weight and again he had problems he had other issues like with cholesterol and he actually ended up having to share his confidential medical records with a private insurance company yeah. in order to get his uh, you know, that kind of intrusiveness yeah. and that kind of you know if, if you bring the market in these things it can lead to all kinds of right. potential abuses I mean there's real concerns there yeah I mean I think mostly it seems I think it's a win for the Poder model which is what Cole Mace said hmm. I think it's a win for the Ruta administration because they've finally gotten something sorted out after nine goddamn years of this nonsense it seems like it's mostly a win for people who are in a typical normal job and are just going to be working in a in a normal sort of white collar profession for a long period of time. So those those seem like the winners to me. The rest of them, it seems like it's not really clear like whether or not they're going to do better or worse. I think that that's the the unclearness of it. Yeah, and the other thing is that I mean, if you come right back to the start, which was this began with the you know worries about the pension funds not having enough money to pay people's retirement yeah. because they made it more flexible thing with less cover that increases the risk and yeah. okay it might mean that people in the short term pensioners of today have it's less likely their pension will be cut but further down the line if yeah. we carry on having these lower interest rates if right. people carry on living longer and we carry on having more people moving from yeah. fixed work into self-employment then the risk goes up and i think it becomes more likely that people you know when i retire when you retire are going to have less in that pension fund what do we think about the argument about that you have to raise the pension age like is this fair i mean people are living longer this is the argument for it on the other hand as we talked about a couple of weeks ago with this like cbs report about uh there was this thing that we discussed about like how many years are like livable years because there's quite a bit of a difference between living longer but or like having longer like 
productive periods of time. And I am, I'm not convinced, right. That like, while lifespans are increasing, that like your ability to sort of work a full-time job for longer periods of time, Mm -hmm. even outside of blue collar work, which I think is like another concern, right. Is like increased that much. Like, yeah. If you retire at the age of 71, I mean, yeah. How many years do you have left to Mm -hmm. enjoy your retirement? To do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I I think 71 seems very old to to retire and to work until 71. I mean, yeah. Just simply can't imagine it. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, in theory, you know, people used to retire at like 55 and stuff. And then, you know, maybe you died at 70, but for the most part, you were probably pretty mm. healthy for 10 years yeah. after your yeah. retirement. You just, went, you just went downhill faster. Yeah. But I, yeah exactly. Yeah. And now it seems like, you know, people may live to be 100, but those last 15 or 20 years, mm. you're not really yeah. being all that, like, sort of much of a productive kind of member of society. So it seems very like unfair to take away yeah. people's ability to spend time in retirement. Yeah. You take away kind of good years or good healthy years. And yeah. then what you get in compensation is like sort of 10 years between like sort of be- 85 and yeah. 95 yeah. when you really can't do very much. Right. And you might be very sick. And yeah. If you do get ill or have an accident at that stage of your life, you're never going to recover from yeah. it. So that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch news, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can now also back us on Patreon, if you so wish, at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You'll only suffer a free shout-out on the podcast, and you can ask us any kind of appropriate or inappropriate question you like. <laughs> My thanks to Molly Quell and Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darach, and we'll be back next week. And Mark Rutte, if you listen... Slide into, slide into Paul's DMs. Yeah. <laughs>